Let's turn in our Bibles this morning, if you would, to Colossians chapter 4. Colossians chapter 4. And we have for some time now been studying this section of the book of Colossians, which really begins in chapter 3, the beginning verses of chapter 3, about putting off and putting on. Putting off the old man and putting on that new man, which according to Colossians 3.10, is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. So just a reminder that putting on the new man is in reality being like Christ. It is us being changed into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we are careful to put off that old man, the works of the flesh, which are so familiar and easy for us to fall into because they're routines and patterns of the past of the old man before we knew Christ, but we put those things off and then we put on the new man and it makes a real difference in our life. Two weeks ago, we talked about how this putting on the new man and putting off the old man would even make a difference in our work life and how we relate to people that we work with or for or people that we oversee and how these relationships can be transformed and changed by the power of God. Now we come to chapter 4 and we're going to take our text this morning from verses 2 through 4. And I'd like to speak to you this morning for a few moments about the subject, Continue in Prayer. Continue in prayer. You know, if you study the life of Christ in the Gospels, you will be struck by how often the Scripture speaks about Jesus praying to the Father. This is remarkable because Jesus is God. He is in no way limited He's he's not less than God or somehow almost God. He is God in every way. And yet, as Jesus was here on this earth, he modeled for us the, the significance and the importance of prayer. We frequently find in the Gospels that Jesus would go away from his disciples, up into a mountain, and he would spend all night long in prayer. We often find Jesus speaking to the Father uh, in an impromptu manner. In the midst of a situation, he would just begin speaking to the Father right in the presence of everyone. We find even at the end of his ministry, just before his crucifixion, that Judas and the crowd that followed him to arrest Jesus knew where to find Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane because it was a place where he frequented for the purpose of prayer. And as it happened, when they came to find him, that is exactly what he was doing. He was praying to the Father. Now, I want you to think about that for just a moment. If Jesus found prayer to be necessary... Why is it that you and I so often neglect prayer? Part of putting on the new man is that we must continue in prayer. Look in chapter 4, verse number 2. The scripture says, Continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving, with all praying for us, with all praying also for us, 
that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in bonds, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. This morning, just two simple thoughts about prayer and our need to pursue after the practice of prayer. First of all, notice that prayer must be practiced. And we'll look at that in verse number two. Then, second of all, we'll take some time to look at the fact that prayer should be particular. And there is a particular request that Paul makes here, which is helpful to us and informs us about what prayer should be and how our prayer life should be structured. So let's think, first of all, about the challenge in verse 2, that prayer must be practiced. He says simply, continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving. The word continue that is used here means constant diligence. It means you just keep on carefully practicing prayer. The word continue means to pursue with earnest perseverance. It's the idea that you are are focused on prayer. That that you are maybe have a one track mind. One of our dogs has a thing for a ball. And if he sees the ball come off of the shelf or out of the basket, he is locked on the ball. And he's just waiting. And and if you don't throw it for him or hand it to him soon enough, he'll be there poking on you and, and saying, in essence, give me the ball. Where's the ball? And you could play games with him. You know, you can hide it behind your back. I'll take it sometimes. So he, gets, he gets over the top with the ball sometimes in the house. And so I'll take the ball and I'll remove it from his mouth and I'll put it up on, a, on one of the cabinets somewhere. And if you're not careful, if you're not watching, he'll come behind your back and he'll get up there on that cabinet looking for the ball because he wants that ball. He is continuing after the ball. The only way that we can break him of going after the ball is to hide it somewhere where he can't possibly get it and he'll finally leave it alone. Now, do you get that picture in your mind? You and I ought to be like that about prayer. We ought to be so focused on prayer and prayer ought to be such a part of our life that we are diligently pursuing after prayer in every moment, in every season of our life. Now, you'll notice that the reason it seems that we are admonished here to continue in prayer, to be diligent in our prayer, is because we are being reminded that prayer is not easy. I think sometimes Christians have this idea, and maybe we've heard it said before, you know, if you're, if you're a true Christian, if you're really a believer, then, you know, you, you should be praying, and prayer ought to be a part of your life, and that's true. But I think some Christians assume then that if they're truly saved, then prayer will just be easy. It'll be, like, it'll be like getting out of bed in the morning. Well, maybe that's not a good illustration. It'll, it'll be like just, you know, walking. It'll just come natural. It'll be so easy, no problem. But the truth is that in the scriptures, we find that prayer is spiritual work. Prayer is not actually that easy, which is why he uses the word continue to tell us that we need to be very, very diligent about pursuing after prayer. Have you found, as I have found, that in order to spend time with God in prayer, 
You must discipline your mind and your body. You cannot pray with half of your mind engaged. You cannot just mumble words and hope that you're actually going to be praying. No, prayer is something that you do diligently. It's something that you must focus upon. It's something that you must pursue after. Let me ask you the question this morning. Do you ever struggle with continuing in prayer? Do you sometimes find it hard to concentrate your attention and spend extended time in private prayer? Now, this morning, I'm not asking you for an out loud answer, but I suspect that every person who is here would answer if you're being truthful, you know? Yes. Prayer is not always that easy. Now, I delight in those seasons when prayer is easy. When talking to God seems to flow naturally and the place of prayer is sweet and it seems like the time passes by so quickly, those are wonderful times. But many times when we're praying, we find that prayer is actually something that we are struggling with. It is spiritual labor. It is spiritual warfare. So continue in prayer. Constant diligence is admonished here. But then he says this in verse 2, as he's talking about the practice of prayer, he reminds us that we are to watch in the same. And that phrase, to watch in the same, speaks of the fact that we need to be cautious and active in our prayer life. This word watch calls to mind the responsibility of a watchman who would sit on the walls and would look for danger. And of course, a watchman is not to fall asleep at his post. A watchman is to be alert. A watchman is to be paying attention to the circumstances in the, in the area that he is responsible to be watching, to be viewing, looking for any sort of danger. And oftentimes, in speaking about prayer, God tells us that we are to watch in prayer. And what this means is, I believe, that prayer is not a passive process or a mindless repetition of requests and rote phrases that we've memorized. And the reason I'm saying that is because all too often that is exactly what our prayer sounds like. We take out a prayer list and it has 10 or 12 names on it and we're praying and we say, Lord... Bless Bill, bless Bob, bless Bethany, and bless... All right, I'm running out of bees. Uh, But we want to bless all these people, and we read through the list. Amen. Praise the Lord. I'm done praying. Now, I'm not trying to offend you, but I want you to understand that's not really prayer. It's not specific. It's not careful. It's not pointed When we pray, God wants us to do more than just bless all the people. He wants us to do more than just read a list. There are religions that are taught that prayer is simply a mindless repetition of certain phrases while clicking through a set of beads. And as long as you do that a certain number of times, God will be pleased and God will hear your prayer. No such instruction in the scripture exists. Actually, the opposite is there. Jesus warns us not to pray with vain repetition. 
He warns us that our, our prayers ought to be engaging our mind, that we ought to be praying with our full attention. Prayer is not something that we do mindlessly. We need to be careful that we don't fall asleep while we are praying or when we should be praying. Now, there are some benefits, you know, when you're falling asleep to be talking with the Lord and to go to sleep talking to the Lord. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking more about the time when you're supposed to be really focusing in prayer and talking to the Lord about some things and instead, like the disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane, you fall asleep. I'm not even going to ask how many of you know what I'm talking about. Uh, sadly, I know exactly what I'm talking about. Been there, done that. But you know what I know about that season of prayer? I wasn't watching. Watching prayer in prayer means that we must not allow our mind to wander when we should be praying. Do you ever experience this? When you're praying, your to-do list suddenly comes alive in your mind. All the things that you need to be checking and doing and, and that you need to be working on and <coughs> in this generation, if you're not careful, before you know it, you'll be remembering something that you needed to buy on Amazon. You'll be thinking of something that you needed to, to check on on Facebook. You'll be remembering a task that that required you to contact someone, so you'll be sending a text message, and the next thing you know, you went from praying to doing other things. It's easy to do. But we need to really focus in prayer. We need to watch in prayer. We need to be diligent, cautious, and active. You and I should be careful not to get distracted by other pursuits when we should be praying getting our mind going off on other things. I'll tell you, if there's a place where, where you will be attacked with distractions, it is the, the prayer closet. Amen. It's the place where you go intending to pray and so many other things come to your mind. And so we're reminded, continue in prayer, be really diligent, uh, pursue after prayer, watch in prayer, be alert and, and make sure that your prayer is mindful. And I, I'll just add to this, you know, that when you're praying, you should be careful to talk to God from your heart. And, and I mentioned, you know, these, these repetitious phrases that we fall into. And, and if we listen to ourselves pray, we'll hear them. And so just be careful to talk to God like you would talk to a real person because he is a real person and, and have a conversation with him centering around the scriptures and what you're finding out about him and, and talk to him genuinely from your heart. And sometimes when I'm praying, I purposely to, to myself, I say, now I'm going to use some of God's other names that I haven't used in a while to remind myself who he is. And I'll go and look up some of those names and I'll try to address him by some of the titles and the names that he's given us that are not as common or ones that don't come to my mind as easily. Why? Because I want to make sure that I'm not just being repetitious in my prayer. I, I don't want to pray, Lord, bless all the people. I want to pray specifically. I want to be careful, and we'll get to this in just a moment. I want to be careful when praying about my own needs 
that I'm praying according to the will of the Father. Not asking God for something that is not His will. So this is what it means to continue in prayer, to watch in the same. And then he says this in verse 2, with thanksgiving. There's an important function of thanksgiving in our prayer life because prayer is more than asking God for things. Prayer is also actively worshiping the Lord and thanking Him for His goodness to us. We tend to be good at asking God for things, not so good at recognizing when God answers those prayers. Not so good at saying thank you. In a lot of ways, we're like kids who want to eat on time. If dinner is late, where's my dinner? I'm hungry. But how often after a nourishing meal do those same children go to their mother and say, thank you so much for the meal that you prepared and for the time that you invested to make that meal? You see, we are a lot like children, aren't we? In our life, we often are saying, God, I need this. You need to solve this situation. You need to remove this trial. You need to bring me through this thing that I'm going through. But then when he answers our prayer, how often are we careful to say, thank you, Lord, for what you've done and recognize his work in our life? So here Paul reminds us that as we're praying, as we're bringing our requests, we need to be careful to thank God for what he is doing. Now, prayer should be practiced. There's no doubt there's many directions that we could go concerning the practice of prayer. This is a general statement in verse 2 about the importance of prayer. But then he gets particular in verse 3. There's something that Paul wants them to pray about while they are praying for their own things. He uses a word, verse 3, at the very beginning of the verse, with all. It's not a word that we use that frequently in the English language anymore. It means at the same time. While you are praying, and and the inference is, while you are praying for the things that are a burden to you, while you are casting your burdens upon the Lord, at the same time, praying also for us. So now he wants them to focus their prayer on some specific things. And I want to just point out to you that while you are praying for your own requests, God intends for you to be involved in supplication for others. Something that I've noted about my own prayer life is that if you and I are not careful, prayer can become very selfish. For instance, we can find ourselves spending all of our prayer time talking about our physical problems, our financial problems, our relationship problems, the the needs that we have, the situations that plague our lives. Are you old enough and have you lived long enough to realize that there is no end of these things? That in fact this world is full of troubles and you will always have troubles. Have you learned that those troubles aren't necessarily going anywhere? God wants us to bring our burdens to him. He wants us to cast our burdens upon him. But that ought not to be the main focus of our prayer time. I even think something that we constantly have to guard against is in sharing prayer requests with others 
and even prayer requests about others that we are aware of. We can quickly become engulfed with, pray for this person, they're in the hospital. Pray for this person, they're sick. I heard this person has cancer. Pray for this person, they're having heart problems. Pray for this person, they've got this financial situation. And I'm not suggesting that we should ignore those problems or those those issues in people's lives. But I do want to point out to you that if we're not careful, our entire prayer life can be engulfed by physical problems that we and others that we love are encountering. And that is not God's intention. Too often our prayers are focused on, God, get me out of this situation. Make my life easier. Get me away from the suffering that I am dealing with. I want to remind you carefully, gently this morning, that when we face suffering in our lives, God has a holy purpose in that suffering. God is up to something and he is doing something and it may not always be God's will to remove that suffering from us. Now, praise God, in the midst of that suffering, if you're a child of God, he promises to give you grace that will be sufficient. But sometimes we are praying for God to do something that is not his will. And in fact, we are praying sometimes in a very unspiritual manner. We are praying to consume something upon our lusts. We are praying, hoping that God will meet our wish list. And we are treating God as if he is a genie in the bottle. And as if we have three magic wishes that we can ask of him. But our God is the omnipotent creator. Our God is a benevolent father. When we come to God in prayer... He is not unconcerned about the things that burden us or that plague our life or that draw our attention. But most of the time, when there are things going on on the physical plane, God is trying to draw our attention to what he is doing on a spiritual plane. So now think about this. Paul says, while you are praying... At the same time, pray also for us. I want to point out to you that there is nothing wrong with asking others to intercede for us. In fact, it is an important thing to employ others and to ask them to pray for us. Paul coveted the prayers of these believers in Colossae like he desired nothing else. He wasn't concerned about them sending an offering. He wasn't worried about getting out of prison. He merely wanted them to pray for him, and he wanted them to pray for him in a very specific way. He's going to spell it out in just a moment. Do you know this morning there could be no greater gift, oftentimes, that we can offer to someone that would exceed our prayers on their behalf. Many times we think of prayers as, well, that's the least that I could do. But actually, genuine intercessory prayer, supplication, is something that is of great value. 
because we are talking to God about someone else's situation. You may say, you know, they've got some, some, some things in their life and I just wish I had some money because if I could give them some money, that would solve the problem. Well, sometimes money complicates the problem. Sometimes money is not the answer. I'm not suggesting that we should be stingy with what God has blessed us with. I'm merely suggesting to you that prayer is not an insignificant thing. When someone says to me, I've been praying for you. When they express to me exactly how they have been praying for me. I am always humbled and grateful because I realize there is no greater gift that they could give than their genuine intercessory prayers on my behalf. Prayer is valuable. Paul says, pray for us. How did he want them to pray, however? He's very particular. In verse 3, he says, that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am also in bonds, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Now, I read the whole sentence or that part of the sentence because it all stands alone as a prayer request, and he wanted them to pray in this particular way. What Paul is asking for is evangelistic prayer. He wants them to pray so that the gospel will go forth. Listen to me carefully. Evangelistic prayer is one of the most valuable expressions of intercessory prayer. One of the most important ways that we can pray for other people is in regards to the gospel going forth. I'll explain what I mean in just a moment. But oftentimes, you and I get hung up praying about physical needs or physical problems or physical situations, and we completely forget about the fact that God is up to something. Let me ask you a question. What good does it do for people to have their physical needs met and then lose their own soul? For instance, what good does it do If we pray for someone who is sick and God answers our prayer and delivers them from their sickness, but in the midst of that, we pay no attention to their spiritual needs. We say nothing to them about Christ and we don't even bother to pray about their deep spiritual need that they have. What good does it do for someone to no longer be sick so that a few years later they can get sick again and eventually die. Because that is going to happen to each one of us. Now, again, I'm not suggesting that we stop praying about physical needs. I'm just pointing out to you that in the midst of that physical need, there is something that God is doing that is far more important than their health or their finances or their relationship problems. God is focused on something different. Now, Paul says, I want you to pray for us. And this is what I want you to pray. Pray that God would open unto us a door of utterance. For just a moment, in your mind, 
Look at the world around you. Think about the people that you know who don't know the Lord, who are unsaved. Your neighbors, family members, co-workers, people that you, you have as acquaintances that you rub shoulders with. Have you noticed that there is a great deal of spiritual blindness in our world? That people are caught up in things that are not that important. And they're ignorant of the truth of what Jesus has done for them. And oftentimes, you try to maybe engage someone in a spiritual conversation. And have you ever opened a spiritual conversation with someone only to have it go woo off on a tangent? Boy, sometimes I'll, I'll stand and start talking to somebody about the things of the Lord, wanting to tell them about the Lord Jesus Christ, and whoo, over here. They're like, how did we get over here talking about this? This, is, this has nothing to do with the gospel. So a lot of times in our conversations, we're like trying to, let's come back over here. Amen. Let's talk about Christ. Now, what do we need? We need for God to open a door of utterance. Perhaps you found... That if you open a spiritual topic, many people are looking to argue. They want to discuss. They want to, they've got some idea and they want, to, they want to argue about that with you. That's not going to help us. What we need is we need for God to open a door of utterance. We need God to open their mind and their heart to the things of the Lord. We need the Lord to make an entrance into people's lives and minds for us. Because we want to have a clear expression of the truth of God. We want to clearly talk to them about the fact that Jesus has died for their sins and that they are not naturally right with God and that they need to be redeemed and the price has been paid. See, we want to focus in on the most important thing. But we need God to open that door. So Paul says, pray for us. Here are the believers in Colossae. Paul is in prison, far, far away, and he says, you can make a difference if you would just pray that we could have a door of utterance. What is this door of utterance for? To speak the mystery of Christ. Now, I'll point out to you that the word mystery, as it is used in the New Testament, speaks about things that were not previously known but have now been revealed. In particular, the word mystery generally pertains to the gospel. It pertains to the the idea that though God made promises of redemption in the Old Testament, it was not completely apparent how he was going to provide that redemption until Jesus came. And now that Jesus has come and has made the sacrifice for sins, that is, his own self shedding his own blood on the cross, his death, burial, and resurrection, now it is apparent what the mystery of the gospel is or the mystery of Christ. And what Paul says is this, I want to make sure to express the truth about Jesus Christ. Listen to me carefully this morning. The gospel is not apparent to most people. Most people will say they know what the gospel is, and quite a few will even tell you they believe the gospel, but the gospel is not necessarily apparent to most people. I'm going to go further. 
there is a high probability that there are people sitting in this very auditorium and the gospel is not apparent to you. Though you hear the gospel preached frequently from this pulpit, somehow it's escaping you. You're missing it. you're, You're thinking that you're saved by your good works. You're thinking that you're saved because you've always been a Christian. You're thinking that you don't really need to be saved. And when you hear the gospel preached, you say, that's a nice message for a lot of people, but not for me. So what we pray for in regards to one another, and even for ourselves, is that God would give us the opportunity to make the gospel plain. Because there is so much confusion about what the truth is, we need clarity of expression to make the gospel truth very plain and very clear. One of the reasons that there is so much confusion is because there are so many different religious teachers who are preaching different messages and claiming to have the truth. And so what we really need is for God to cut through the confusion with the clarity of his word. But the way that God does that is through human messengers who are bold enough to proclaim the gospel and also through those who will support those messengers in the ministry of intercession. That God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mysteries of Christ almost as a side note, for which I am also in bonds. I've already mentioned this, so I'll not belabor the point. You will not find in one instance where Paul asks someone to pray that he would be broken out of jail. You will not find one place where Paul says, pray for me that I could get out of this stinking prison. Whenever he's in prison, he says, pray for me that I will have boldness and clarity and that I will preach the gospel in this place where God has allowed me to be. Now, I'll point out to you that Paul's situation was quite particular in that he knew that God was taking him to Rome so that he could be a testimony to Caesar and preach the gospel to him. He knew that already. God had already revealed to him that's what was going to happen. And I'm not suggesting that it would be wrong to pray for someone who is in prison, that God would bring them out of prison or that God would deliver them. I'm just suggesting to you once again that we see the physical need and the burden that he might have been carrying from being in prison didn't even seem to be entering into his mind. What he wanted was for the gospel to be proclaimed and for God to be glorified. Paul was actually content with being in prison if it meant that he would be able to preach the gospel. And I wonder how many of us feel the same way. I wonder how many of us say, maybe it's not prison. Maybe it's, I would be content to still have cancer if it means that I could proclaim the gospel more clearly. I I would be content to face some financial hardship if it means that I would be able to proclaim the gospel. Do you understand what I'm saying? 
But many of us say, whoa, no, 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 no. I mean, I'll proclaim the gospel in other situations, but get me out of this. But God often is working in different ways. Are you still with me this morning? So he says, pray for me. Then, in verse 4, he says, that I may make it manifest. The word manifest means clear, plain, open, easy to understand. When, you, when something is manifest, it is, it is plain as day. There's no confusion about it. Paul says, pray for me that when I am preaching the mysteries of Christ, I would be able to make it manifest. This is something that bothers me. And if you pray for me, and I appreciate those of you who pray for me, this is something that you can specifically pray about. You could pray that I would be able, when I am speaking to people about the mysteries of Christ, about the gospel that I would be able to make it clear to them. There are few things that frustrate me as much as trying to converse with someone about the gospel, having an extended conversation, only at the end of that conversation to realize that they are just as confused as they were at the beginning, and to step away from that encounter realizing that we have made no progress. Isn't that frustrating to you? That's frustrating to me. Paul said, I want to make sure that I make the gospel plain. We need to be careful to speak words that others can comprehend. It is possible for us to speak with a Christian code. That sort of sounds like words that people maybe understand but not quite. I've found that many times we need to be careful, not necessarily to change our words, but to define our terms, to help them understand exactly what we are speaking about. Also, it would be a big mistake for someone to be communicating the gospel and not to recognize the signs that the other person is no longer listening. Has this ever happened to you in a conversation where you're conversing with someone and you're telling a long story and you're going on and on and on and you suddenly realize that you lost them. They aren't listening anymore. They, they're thinking about their grocery list. They're, they're off doing something else. They're, they're nervously trying to figure out how to get away from you. So as believers, we want to learn how do I make it manifest? How do I make it plain? How do I make it so that other people will know exactly what I'm talking about and how can I keep their mind engaged? I want to make sure that they're with me. All right? So he says, pray for me, pray for me, pray for me. And then he reminds us with the last phrase in verse 4, as I ought to speak. And that is the, is the idea that we are obligated as ambassadors for Christ to make the gospel clear. However, in order to make the gospel clear, we need more than great ways to explain it. We need more than a sharp mind so that we can really answer the objections. We need more than a lot of facts and proof that will back up our position. You know what we need? We need divine intervention. 
Because when we are communicating the gospel, we are involved in the greatest and most significant form of spiritual warfare that there is. We are trying to break through the blinders that the God of this world has put on their spiritual eyes. And we are trying to help them to understand the truth of what the gospel is and how they can be right with God. And in order for this to happen, what we know from the scripture, from the, from the record of scripture is this, we must have God at work in that situation. Amen. We cannot go in the power of the flesh and expect to accomplish anything. So in order to do this, we need to be praying for one another about these kinds of encounters. For instance, you may hear brother so-and-so is doing a Bible study with this particular person. Now, this is a great opportunity. You can specifically pray that God would give brother so-and-so clarity of words and thought to be able to address the concerns of that individual with the word of God so that they would be impacted with the truth. You can pray that God would cut through the confusion that is in that person's mind and help them to see with clarity the truth of the gospel. You can pray that the Holy Spirit of God would bring conviction in that person's life and that God would draw them unto himself. These are specific ways that we can pray for one another. Sometimes we'll hear about someone in a bad situation. Perhaps a brother or sister in Christ who is enduring some trial or some difficulty. And again, I'm not suggesting that we can't pray for that trial. We certainly ought to. And we ought to pray for God's will to be done. And we ought to pray for different aspects of that trial that they're going through. But should we not also pray for their spiritual needs in that situation? And should we not also pray that God would give them the opportunity to clearly present the gospel to others while they are going through that trial? That is praying according to God's will. Now, just to reiterate, prayer is hard. Prayer requires discipline, work, spiritual warfare. Prayer requires our attention and our diligence, and we must pursue after prayer with thanksgiving. And then in the midst of that prayer, let us be very particular about how we're praying. Let us be careful to pray according to the will of God. And let us, in our prayer life, focus on the spiritual needs that are present and what God is doing often behind the scene, especially, let us pray, that every trial that brothers and sisters go through becomes a platform for the clear proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, throughout the week, we have any number of individuals and teams that are involved in the work of evangelism. For instance, we have a group a great group of people who are involved this year in downtown Allentown on Thursday evenings proclaiming the gospel. They're they're going house to house, trying to encounter people on the streets, 
We have groups of people that are working with the children and inviting them to come and learn about the the things of the Lord there in the park and ministering to them. You say, you know, what could I, I... I work on Thursday night, or I, I've got other obligations. I can't be there. What can I do? You could pray. Amen. And you could pray specifically, and you could pray that God would give this kind of clarity so that as the gospel is preached, people would understand it. They would reckon with their need of Christ, and they would realize that they must be born again. Amen. Continue in prayer. Prayer is a practice that we need to be involved in, and prayer should be particular.